scripture today. Our text today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. That's where you can find it on your phones or your iPads, or you can look to 844, page 844 of the Red Pew Bibles, and that's where you would find that. Mark, chapter 8, starting in verse 34. And calling to the crowd, to, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? and forfeit his soul. For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It really is morning. Um, I found my glasses. Yes. They were in the trash. <laughs> I, I, last week, uh, those of you who are here, you know that I lost my glasses, so I was like preaching without my glasses, and like so, which was which was a huge confidence booster because I couldn't see any of you falling asleep or like anything like that. So just imagine that everything went splendidly, um, but I found them in the trash. So uh, I, I I turned over every book in our house and like I was looking everywhere. I was like, where is it? And then I just thought, trash. And I went looking through the trash cans and then went to the bathroom one, and there it was in the middle of our trash in the bathroom. So my, my kids, um, we have a rule that, you know, they have to clean up after themselves, and we want the counters clear and stuff like that. So I think that they just went to the bathroom and they just went, <laughs> like they just wiped everything clean of it, and then there it was. <clears throat> there it was. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for glasses, and uh, thank you for these people here. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this past week, I've been researching cell phone family plans because uh, my daughter just turned 11, and she's um, really embarrassed of her flip phone. And so she tells me, like, Dad, please don't call me. Like, I've been a, like then I have to break it out. And, like, it's like, I, please don't do that. And I was like, okay, I'll text you, but you got to check it later, okay? And so we have these deals. And so we have, like, an old iPhone sitting around. And um, so for her birthday, I activated it and then called her on it. And it was like, happy birthday. And she was, like, so excited, right? She, um, because this is, these are the things that you deal with as your children get older. I have this pre-adolescent daughter, and I have this one approaching adolescence. And they're much more challenging than a six-year-old and three-year-old. Like, this is what six-year-olds and three-year-olds play with. Like, see? It's just... 
hi, Snow White, hi, how are you? Like, that's, you know, that's it. So, um, <laughs> they don't have to deal with stuff. But, you know, as they get older, we're dealing with these activities and dropping them off to, like, different camps and all this kind of stuff and school projects and all these types of things. We want them uh, to have a way for each one of us to get in touch with one another if, if we need to. So, lots of options out there, and I'm, I'm looking at all these different carriers and and... Each one of them has terms and conditions, right? They all have terms and conditions. They're probably all the same, but you and I have never read them, right? We've never read through these things, but they're, they're in everything. Terms and conditions are in everything, even in relationships. It's not formal in that you have to sign it unless you're getting married and you sign a marriage license, but if you're dating someone, there are terms and conditions to it, right? Like you guys come up with your own. And you have to abide by those things, otherwise they don't work out. When you're employed, you have terms and conditions of your employment, like you have to show up, right? You have to do stuff. Um, phone service plans, uh, whatever it is, product transactions, pretty much everything has its terms and conditions. And the same thing goes for our relationship with Jesus also. You don't necessarily have a signing thing that you have to do in terms of a, a formal agreement, but, but it's there. And it's a good thing, isn't it? It's a good thing to, to have clarity with relationships or within relationships, to know that you've entered into an understanding of what is acceptable and what's not acceptable, and that there's this transparency in the relationship so that there's trust, because everything is out in the open, and it builds trust. And so what we have here is essentially terms and conditions to follow Jesus. Now, it's important for us to realize that our relationship with Jesus is not conditional in terms of merit, that it's not dependent on our merit. And if it was, we'd be in a whole lot of hurt, right? We'd be, we'd be in a lot of trouble. But we have faith in what he has done for us. We have uh, confidence that it is by his grace that we have this from God. And we trust in what Jesus has done for us on the cross to take our sin upon himself and we believe that he takes that completely and we are right with God because of what Jesus did and not anything that we have done. It's our faith that leads to our resulting actions. It is not our actions that dictate our faith. So in our actions of, of obedience to Jesus, are the results of our faith. They are the results of this trust and the beliefs that we have in Jesus. Last week we read of Peter saying that Jesus is the Christ. But he really didn't know what that meant. He also didn't know what that meant for him as a follower of Jesus. It's no surprise as to what it means to be a follower of Jesus because Jesus lived the way that we are to live. And to live as Jesus is to deny oneself, to take up one's cross, that it is a road of suffering. It is a road of rejection. It is a road to death. Aren't you glad you're here this morning? And if you don't know Jesus and you're not a follower of Christ, aren't I convincing you of such wonderful promises? Like you just want to jump in and join in on this journey with us. But this is the way to the abundant life, the abundant life, that we do realize that there is no victory over death, and if there is no victory over death, there is no resurrection life. 
There is no resurrection. There is no ascension. See, following Jesus is a radical calling. Many people have cheapened what it means to follow Jesus, thinking that it's just making some minor tweaks here and there in how we live and adjusting our lifestyle to live a more moral life, to, to live a certain lifestyle. I, I wish it was that easy. I wish it was that easy that we can just make some tweaks here and there and just be like, hey, we're good. We're good with Jesus. But do we really think that people gave up their lives because they wanted to stop stealing? That, that, that's why we have Christian martyrs who died for their faith. Did they die because they just wanted more honesty in the world? That, that they just wanted to stop lying and they wanted people to stop lying to them and that's why they died for their faith? You see, following Jesus is much, much bigger than morality. One of the biggest reasons people don't follow Jesus is that there doesn't seem to be all that much of a difference between a follower of Jesus and a person who doesn't follow Jesus. There's, it seems to be that the non-believer and the believer have similar moralities. It seems that a believer's faith is just kind of more of a powerless belief. That there's nothing to it. It's just kind of a story. It's just a bunch of myths and stories. And so we probably all know non-Christians who live better moral lives than Christians. Some who are more generous. Some who are more caring. Some who are actually better at discipling their worldview to people than Christians are. Is it possible that we've forgotten what the terms and conditions of being a follower of Jesus are? So we look at verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Here's Eugene Peterson's interpretation of that verse. And I say interpretation because it's not a translation. Uh, Eugene Peterson did not break out the original Greek language and start translating. He, he's interpreting what this is. He's going for meaning. And so I do read the message. I really appreciate Eugene Peterson's insights. But it's not what I use for my main primary Bible study tool because it's not a translation. But it is very helpful. So let me share this with you. Verse 34, this is what he wrote. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me, and I'll show you. I don't know if any of you find that helpful, but it just kind of helps me to see things a little bit clearer. Now back to our Bibles right here that we use here, the ESV. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And you notice that this is a very public calling to discipleship. That he is calling the crowd with, that is with the disciples. He's calling all of them over. And that there are these conditions to following Jesus. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. First condition is let him deny himself. Your plans are no longer your plans. Right? So we, we deny ourselves to Christ so that we may obey his will. And this is a really radical way to live, especially for those of us here in the Bay Area. Because for us, this is not the mantra that we kind of beat. Right? This is, 
For us, it's every desire we have, every want we have, every craving we have, we seek to fill it. Right? So deny, this is, this is not the Bay Area way. We do not deny ourselves. We fill ourselves. But then there's just no other way for anyone who intends to follow Jesus to live but to deny oneself. Now, why is this? Because the idol of self is in the way of God. And so that idol of self needs to be denounced. And as long as our idolatrous selves are mini-gods, there is there's no way for Jesus to be Jesus. And as long as we think that we're the most important being in the universe and that everything revolves around me, which every child believes, there will always be brokenness. And Jesus makes it possible to fix that brokenness, to, to save our lives by changing our belief. Let me just read for us verse 35. We'll go back to it again, but I just kind of want to throw it out there right now. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. We lose our life to truly save it. To lose our selfishness. To lose our sinfulness. We actually get a truer sense of who we really are. We get a deeper sense of who we are created to be. The real you can come out when our brokenness is fixed and, and Jesus is able to do that. Have you, have you noticed that you don't have to learn how to be selfish? You, you don't have to learn that. that. That's not something you... We have to learn how to be generous, right? We have to learn how to give. And for anyone who does not believe me, Anyone who doesn't believe me, I'm really hoping somebody raises their hand. Just somebody. <laughs> Serve in the infant toddler ministry. <laughs> this will cure you of any belief that there is no sin. That, that is the institute of self-centeredness downstairs. Like that, that is, and the people who serve in that ministry are the biggest saints of our church. See, here's the thing about Babies. God made them so, so adorable and so cute and, you know, just that bundle of flesh. Why did he do that? Because that's the only thing they got going for them. That, that's it. That, that's all they got. That's all, aside from that, they have nothing to offer you. Really. Right? They're selfish. They're selfish. You... Have you ever had to deal with a baby and say, like, be selfish? <laughs> you know, be selfish. Stop sharing. So you, you never have to do that. You always have to, we're going to share. Like, right? yay, give the yay. And you share. You, you, you never, like, be selfish. Like, yeah, selfish. You know, you don't do that. We, we have to be taught to deny ourselves. That is something that we have to learn, right? To, to take up our cross. You, you never have to learn to not deny, like feel every craving. Feel every, like you just do that. And so there's that other condition of following Jesus, of taking up your cross. We are in a time of Lent, and thank you for the team that created, created our, our Lenten series. If you still need a copy, it's in the back, and it's also available online. 
as a ministry staff, we've also asked our ministry staff to, to do something personal during this time of Lent and to give, uh, give up of certain things. Now, let's not equate the cross with something trivial that some of us kind of give up on Lent. Not to say that it's meaningless, because there's a lot of meaning in giving up coffee, right? Like, amen, right? So, but the cross is a really, really radical metaphor. It was a cruel form of death. It was a torturous death. And so the victim had to carry this, this cross beam to the place of execution, and on the road to the cross, that means... There's no turning back. Like, you are going to die. That is a dead man walking. There's no changing the outcome. And so you know someone's intent when they buy a one-way ticket, right? They don't tend to, they're not going back. And so the cross is a one-way ticket. They are not intending to, to alter that, that path. And so this is a picture of the worst thing that can possibly happen to somebody, right? Death. Because if, if you're not dead, there is hope for a different outcome. Like, you, you can probably hope for a change. But if you're dead, you're, you're dead. And if there was victory over death, as Jesus has provided, then what else is there to fear if that's kind of like the ultimate fear? That Jesus was victorious over death. And so there's one picture, and here's another picture of this, is that it's a picture of us dying to our life, this life that we once lived, that we're not going to turn back to that old life. We, we died to it. There's no way to, to leave that old life if we don't deny our old self. And there's no way to take up our cross without denying the old self. And there's no resurrection life without the cross. And the way of Jesus has and always will be the same, that we deny ourselves and we take up one's cross. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Or do you not know what your body is, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The terms and conditions of being a disciple of Jesus, deny oneself and take up one's cross, this is easier to understand if we realize that we're not our own. That we were bought with the price. Jesus' life paid for your life. This way of life, denying oneself, taking up one's cross, is the way of following Jesus. And living like this will transform the way we live our life and, and the way that we view life. Living our life will no longer be about self-preservation or protection. It wouldn't be about just living for the now because we have eternity in mind. Now, verse 35 again, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Just a 
crazy paradox, isn't it? We're so consumed with having things instantly that we don't really picture living in light of eternity. And if we're stuck in living in the immediate like so many people are, then where is that hope of the future? See, there's only hope if there is a future. And if life is just about living in the now or having instant gratification or that when you're dead, you're dead and nothing else happens, that's the end of it, then where is hope? If you have everything anyone could ever possibly want right now and you're not happy, where's the hope? What good is that? And so we look at verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? See, what is your soul worth? What is worth your everlasting soul? We as Christians, we say lots of different things that seem kind of like funny to non-Christians. We say things like we have Jesus in our heart. Like, what? What? Like, there's a dude in your heart? But, you know... Some people understand that who are spiritual because they have their deity or their belief or their person in their heart too. And so they, some people understand this. And so Jesus in our heart has worked out similarly as someone of another faith that has their faith in their heart. And people of different faiths and beliefs, they also have stories of change just like Christians do. So is that our message of following Jesus? Jesus is in our heart and we've changed. But what's the difference of so-called deity in someone else's heart who has changed their life? That has happened. We don't have the corner on the market of change. See, people of all sorts of faith and beliefs have had their lives changed. So looking back at the terms and conditions of a follower of Jesus, it says, deny oneself. A lot of religions believe this, don't they? To deny yourself? A lot of them do. So that isn't the distinctive part of Christianity. This part is when you couple it with the second condition, denying self and taking up your cross. That's a distinctive. That's unique to Christianity. And it's not just taking it up and dying because there have been a lot of martyrs in various religions. So it's not about denying yourself and dying. What is distinctive about the Christian faith is that there is a resurrection, that there is an ascension, that there is a victory over death. That is a distinctive. And so we can seek to save our temporary life here on earth. But the fact of the matter is that everyone dies. Everybody dies. But dying to ourself and taking up our cross, recognizing the cross Jesus bore, and resurrecting from death gives us the opportunity to resurrect like he did. So he saves us beyond that fear, that beyond that ultimate fear of death. 
Now we can make an argument that, oh, a lot of religions talk about the afterlife, a lot of religions talk about, yes, they do. But they don't have a resurrected Messiah that, has, that can be disproven. If anyone wants to ever disprove Christianity, all you have to do is disprove the resurrection. All the Jews had to do was produce a body. All they had to do was answer why on a sociological level. How did these 12 fearful people or 11 fearful people go out to change the entire world from this ho-dunk, po-dunk town that meant nothing in the Roman Empire? See, there are some things that need to be answered as to why. He saves our life for everlasting. What benefit is gaining the whole world today if there's only an empty life tomorrow? For anyone with any foresight, this makes complete sense. For anyone who understands profit or business, this makes sense. If you handle your own finances, this makes sense. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. See, the kingdom is worth your soul. It, it, it's a good investment. Things that are temporary, things that are false, they are not worth your soul. And so Jesus told this parable in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, and Drink and be merry. And God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, this guy wasn't a fool because he was rich. That's not why he's a fool. It's not because he was smart. It's not because he was entrepreneurial. He was a fool because as much as he prepared in how to deal with his riches, he was not prepared in how to deal with his death. That's why he's foolish. See, material things don't matter much when you're dead. Right? False beliefs don't matter when you're dead. Nothing matters when you're dead, especially when you don't have Jesus. The fool is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So if we were wise investors, we were looking for a good return, a good profit, and not loss, we look to what our soul is worth and we invest toward a good return for our everlasting soul. But we all struggle with this, don't we? We struggle with this. We see people in Mark's gospel struggling with this. That everyone has a price. That they can be bought. Everyone except for Jesus. I'm just going to point out three guys for you in the Gospel of Mark who all had a price to deny Jesus. There was the rich man in Mark chapter 10 starting in verse 17. 
And he, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. All these morality things, right? And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. He's probably pretty confident here. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. See, that was his denying of self and that was his cross. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And here's uh, an example. Example number two, Judas. Judas had a price. Mark chapter 14, verses 10 and 11. When Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Rich guy has a price. Judas has a price. Here's a third price. Peter. But this time it's not money. Peter said in Mark chapter 14, verse 31, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. But to save his own life. Right? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. He paid a price and he denied Jesus. He didn't deny himself. And you look at verses 66 and 68 of Mark 14. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. Everybody, including probably me and you, has a price except for Jesus. Jesus fully denied himself, fully took up his cross. Thank you for his grace. Because we can look at these guys and be like, oh, dumb rich guy, dumb Judas, dumb Peter, I would never. Yeah, you would. I would. We all have a price. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In verse 35, we read of this contrast between life and death, and here we read of this contrast of between shame and glory. Verse 35, there, there was this hope of life because of the future that we were talking about, and if, if we're really just living for today, then is there really any hope for tomorrow? And if we're ashamed of Jesus and his words, then where's the hope of justice and of righteousness? You see, there are some people that need to answer for injustices of the world. See, Pol Pot needs to answer for the death of three million Cambodians. He needs to answer for wiping out one-third of his countrymen. Idi Amin needs to answer for torturing and killing half a million Ugandans. See, Without that hope, where is real justice? Where is real righteousness? Where every ruling of injustice is made right. Truth that is no longer hidden behind 
corruption, or money, or politics, or racism, or lies, or any of those things, where everything is disclosed and transparent, and it is the truth. Thank God for that. I'm looking forward to that, where things are just revealed. Every person who has been wrongly imprisoned, where Jesus can be like, no, he was wrongly imprisoned. That's, That's false. He is truly innocent of those charges. And to be free. And every person who has gotten away with a crime, who thinks that they have, that they are brought to justice. See, all the truth will come to light. Nothing will be hidden. There's a hope for justice. See, the world cannot provide that. The world cannot promise that. Many people think that following Jesus means conformity, but it does not. Following Jesus means rebellion. It means revolution. It means rebellion against the established orders of this world and their priorities, against the oppression of the flesh, against the fears of popular culture. It is against conformity. It is a revolution against slavery, our slavery to sin, slavery to the things that don't give us choices but to sin. Sin which leads to death, as the Bible says. Let's close with the last verse. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Standing with Jesus means denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. But with that comes a life of power, a resurrected life, and and glory in the kingdom of God for everlasting. The, The kingdom of God after it has come with power, is is going to defeat evil. Evil will be defeated. And that defeat has already begun with the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross. This is going to become more clear as we continue our study of Mark. And following Jesus is the only hope of the eradication of evil forever. It's the only hope. Following Jesus doesn't mean that we're going to have all that much of a pleasant journey. It's actually quite dangerous. It's actually quite risky. Following Jesus is not making some minor adjustments to how we live. It is entering into a life of glory. And we'll get a better glimpse of that the next time we look at the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word We ask, God, that you would help us to see the error of our ways, that help us to see the cross, help us to see Jesus resurrected. Because without that clarity, Lord, we we confuse our faith with other faiths, that what is the difference between the way we live moral lives. Doesn't everyone agree that we shouldn't kill one another? Doesn't everyone agree that we shouldn't steal from one another? Doesn't every religion believe in those things? And so, Lord, help us to look deeper. Help us to look beyond. Help us to see the cross that it is not just denying ourselves, but it is denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following you. I pray, God, that you would give courage to those who are struggling with that. In Jesus' name, amen.